Hey everyone, this is Joseph Bosco, pastor of Highway Church. Thanks for joining us on our podcast. You know, all of us need the right kind of voices in our lives. Voices that inspire us to know the one who made us. Voices that awaken our divine destiny and reveal to us the goodness of God. Well, that's what this ministry is all about. So enjoy the message. Instead of trying to muster up your own faith, why not let Jesus be your faith? We're starting a a new message today. It may turn into a series. We'll see how it goes. But it's called God, My Source. God, My Source. Source means the point of origin, where you come from, who you come from, what you come from, where you come from. God, my source. The word source is also synonymous with the word Genesis. In other words, the mode of, forma- the mode of formation of something, how something was made. We want to learn and learn to look to God as our source, not just in one area, or two areas, or even three or four areas, but in every single area of our lives. And it's kind of funny how we can do sometimes. We're trusting God over here, but over here we're trying to do it in our own strength, right? Well, we want to trust God here and there and every place in between, right? We don't want to live life in our own strength. We want to live life with Him as our strength. We don't want to live life with our own wisdom. We want to live life with Christ as our wisdom. We don't want to live life by our own provision. We want to live with His provision, right? God, my source. So the source, where did we come from? Originally, we know we came from God, right? You go all the way back to Genesis, and you can see that. You can see that in John chapter 1, verse 1. We came from the Word of God. God spoke everything into existence. And he, did, he declared in Genesis 1, 26 through 28, He said, Let us make man in our own image, our own likeness. And that's exactly what He did. So we came from God, and the method by which we were formed was with the Word of God. That's the method by which we were formed, and that's the method that will fix us Make us whole and keep us whole, right? It's good to know where you came from. We came from the Word of God. We came from His heart, breathed out of His mouth, and became His very own sons and daughters, right? In fact, in Genesis chapter 2-7, it says man became a living soul. We're not going to turn there. But the, there are some rabbinic, rabbinic writings, writings of rabbis found in the Targum that literally translate Genesis 2-7 and says, man became a speaking or discoursing spirit. God, my source. We came from God. God spoke us into existence. He made us in his image to be like him. We became speaking spirits, discoursing spirits. And in the beginning, God was our source, right? But because God is love, he gave us a free will. You can't have love without freedom, right? You, don't want, you, you can't force someone to love you. That's not love. Love has to be a, a, a choice that someone makes, Right? We have to, my wife had to choose to love me. I had to choose to love her. And we had to choose to be husband and wife for the rest of our lives. It's a choice we made. It wasn't automatic. No one forced us to do it. That's how love is. So in the beginning, God was our source. But man, in his free will, rejected God and was severed from God and severed from his true source, man's true source. Man chose to listen to the lies of Satan and chose Satan as his source. That may sound drastic, and it is, but it's true. 
when, when Adam and Eve chose to believe what Satan said, they were choosing Satan as their source. And what does Satan have to give them? Confusion, condemnation, depression, sickness, cursing. These are the same. If you look to Satan as your source, this is what he'll give you, right? And now he may, he may uh, candy coat it and make it look good and look pretty, but when you get beyond the surface, it will ruin you. So man chose Satan as their source, but thank God, and you can read that in Genesis 3. We're not going back there today. Christ came so that we could be reunited with our true source, with the one who made us, right? He came so that we could be reborn. When Adam and Eve put their faith in Satan as their source, they went from life to death. They went from light to darkness. They went from health to sickness. They went from wealth to poverty. And part of choosing Satan as their source was they had to, to work at it with everything they've got, and by the sweat of their brow, hopefully they would have enough. We're redeemed from that. Christ came so that we could be reborn into God's family so that he could be our source again so God could become our father. You know, God is not everybody's father. It's important to understand that. Why? Because we have a free will. Originally, he was the father of mankind. But man rejected him. Satan became the the source, the father with a small f of the human race. He became our master. But through Christ, you become reunited to God as your father. Let's open up our Bibles to Acts 26. Acts 26, verse 18. Hallelujah. I, I heard, uh, I was watching, it was a Christian broadcast, and I heard one of the, the vocalists singing, he's got the whole world in his hands. And that sounds nice, but it's not scriptural. You mean there are things not scriptural on Christian broadcasts? Yeah. He's got the whole world in his hands. That's a, that's a nice, happy song, but it's not true. He doesn't have the whole world in his hands. He's not everybody's father. And if you look at the ministry of Jesus, he spoke to, to, to many religious leaders, and he told them that Satan was their father. I don't know about you, but I don't want to have Satan as my father. Uh, that's just something I don't want to have. I had that for... 19 years in my life and it, it would have killed me had not Christ come into my life so it's time to know God as your father right so people sing they try and be nice and even Christians try and sing nice songs that they think everyone can sing along with them but it doesn't set anyone free because if you think God's got the whole world in his hands well I'm going to tell you that he's got the world in a mess doesn't he wouldn't you agree the world's in a mess right now I'm not, I'm not putting anyone down. I'm just saying it's a mess out there. That's not, a, that's not a slam against anyone. That's not a personal thing. It's just a confusing place. Can we agree on that? So if God is controlling this, then he'd be a confusing God, wouldn't he? The truth is God is not controlling everything going on in the world. The Bible doesn't teach that. I know there are a lot of ministers who might and Christian songs who might sing that, but the scriptures don't teach that. Jesus didn't teach that. He taught us that Satan is the God of this world. That's why it's in such a mess. The good news is you don't have to be a part of the mess, right? You're a solution to the mess, right? When you put your faith in Christ, you're reborn and you're no longer of this mess. The Holy Spirit, the answer comes to live inside of you, and now the solution is in you wherever you go, right? So you, you become an answer to the mess when you receive Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So I'm glad that we have the choice to, that we, anyone, no matter who you are or where you're from, you can choose Jesus right now. Isn't that amazing? You can choose him right now, and you can be taken out of the mess and brought into the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Taken out of depression and brought into joy. In fact, in Acts chapter 26, verse 18, 
Jesus is talking to Paul. Now, Paul was not one of the original 12 disciples. He was Saul, the Pharisee, who was persecuting the church. But Christ appeared to him on the road to Damascus. And this is Jesus revealed to him his purpose, that he was calling Saul to become an apostle. And he reveals to him the purpose, verse 18, that he was to preach the gospel to open their eyes. Whose eyes? The people who are listening to Satan, the world, right? The people who didn't know how good God is. The people who didn't know the, the love of the Father, that all that God did for them through his Son. To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. And from the power of Satan under God. That they may receive forgiveness of sins. So your eyes have to be open to receive forgiveness, Right? I used to think that I, there was probably nothing I could ever do to get God forgive, to forgive me. I would try to do more good things, but it, just, it seemed like the harder I tried, the worse it got. My eyes had to be open that he already forgave me through his son. That's the gospel. He already did it. You're already forgiven. Just receive it, right? So it's the gospel. It's the good news from this book that opens our eyes to receive the amazing things that God's already done for us. We just, we're, we're, our eyes open so that we can receive them and begin to experience them, right? That they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those, among them, which are sanctified, set apart, made clean by faith that is in me. There it is again. The faith is in him. The message says it this way, to open the eyes of the outsiders. <laughs> we were outside of the kingdom before Christ, right? Man, it was tough. Whew. But for the grace of God, I wouldn't have made it. To open the eyes of the outsiders so they can see the difference between dark and light. Wow. Wow. So they can see the difference between dark and light and choose. It's a choice. God can't do this for us. We have to exercise our free will on our own, right? So they can see the difference between dark and light and choose light. See the difference between Satan and God. Wow. Now you'd think that would be easy, seeing the difference between Satan and God, don't you? Why is it not easy? What did Paul tell us about Satan? How does he come? As an angel of light. He comes beautiful. Very attractive. He's very talented. He's got lots of money. Right? He's, he's over all the kingdoms of the earth. That's what he tempted Jesus with. You've read that, right? Your hard copy Bible, Matthew 4. Right? So he's got lots of money to offer you. Lots of things he can offer you. What's behind it will ruin you, but nevertheless, he comes as an angel of light. It's not easy to see the difference between Satan and God. Say it again. It's not easy to see the difference between Satan and God. If it was, everyone would know it. Our eyes have to be opened to see the difference between Satan and God. Wow, I don't think I've ever said it like that before. Isn't that something? Your eyes have to be open to see. See, see the cartoons, and I, I like cartoons, but they'll draw Satan. You know, he's clearly a little devil. He's all red, and, you know, and then they'll put a little white angel over here, but it's not like that in real life. When Satan comes, he, he, it's not easy to tell the difference between him and God because he's a deceiver, and he's good at it. He's been doing it longer than you've been alive, longer than the human race has been on earth. He's been doing it a long time. And he's probably, I think as far as, he's just about perfected it. If he, not that he could perfect anything, but he's, he does very well at what he does. So how do we see the difference between Satan and God through faith in Christ? But we have to choose Christ. If you don't choose Christ, you're not going to see the difference between Satan and God. Isn't that crazy? Can you imagine not knowing the difference between a father who loves you and, and, a, and a child molester? When I was a kid, uh, it was, we grew up in a kind of tumultuous time. Let's see, I went to kindergarten, 
I think I, I was four years old when I maybe I was five. It was like 1974, somewhere in there. And there was a lot of racial turmoil going on in America and in my town of Newcastle, PA. And there were fights breaking out. So we had, uh, I was, the school I was taken to, um, you had, uh, you had people fighting each other. You know, you had blacks and whites fighting each other. And you had uh, children pulling knives on teachers. And uh, I remember being a little kid, you know, and and tying my shoe on the playground, this big gang of kids, they looked like they were taller than my dad. I think they were. They were in sixth grade like five times. But (laughs) they never passed the sixth grade. But they looked down at me and they would just, you know, tell me what they were going to do to me. It was a tumultuous time. And there was someone, there was this house on the end of of my street. Uh, it was a dilapidated, rundown house, but uh, this guy who got got released from prison had a uh, was a, a child molester, and my grandpa learned that this guy was going to move back into the house at the end of the street. So my gra- we had to walk to school. My grandpa would would we, he didn't want us to know he was doing it, so he'd pull up in his little green car about a block away, and he'd put the newspaper up, and he'd just watch us walk to school and. Make sure this guy would ride around on his little bike. He was probably, uh, I don't know what he was in his 60s or so, but he was kind of a strange character, and no one trusted this guy because of his past. But my grandpa wanted to make sure that this guy didn't try anything when we were passing his house, so he would follow us all the way to school. He thought we didn't know, but we could see his little green hornet car going there. We'd go around the block, then we'd look, and there grandpa come pulling around, put his newspaper up, and... But wouldn't it be something if we couldn't tell the difference between that child molester and my real dad? What would happen? We'd get ruined, wouldn't we? In order to tell the difference between Satan and God, you've got to know Christ. You've got to put your faith in Christ. You've got to cultivate your relationship with Christ. It's not a one-time prayer that everything's fine. That's silly. Because we're dynamic beings and we have relationships. We don't just push a button and everything's fine. We have to cultivate what's growing in us. Right? We're like a garden. You don't just plant seeds and walk away. And if you've ever tried to plant something, you know what a disaster that would be. Even before you plant the seeds, you've got to break up the ground. You've got to prepare the soil. And that takes time. And you've got to fertilize the soil. Someday, if you really want to do it right, do it the fall before you plant. Right? So it's months before you're ever going to plant anything, and you're breaking up soil, and you're putting fertilizer in the soil. You want it thick and and dark and rich, right? And you want to put the seeds in there when in good soil. And then after you put the seeds in there, you want to water them, and you've got to watch for weeds. Amazing how quickly weeds will come. And they don't just go away because you pulled them out once, right? More come. So if you want to know the difference between Satan and God, it's not about praying a one-time prayer in church. Okay, Jesus, I believe. It's about giving your heart to him and cultivating this intimacy with him every day. How do I cultivate an intimacy with him? I get in his word, and I read it no matter what people are saying around me. I had to do this, man. It was chaos in my house, and it didn't matter what they were doing. I just closed my door. I I'd get out my pipe when I just eat this up and just block out the noise. Talking about when I was younger, growing up. You have to block out the noise by cultivating your relationship with Him, because this world's a noisy place, and that's what Satan's trying to do: is pull you away from this intimacy with Christ. But we're not going to let them do it, right? Because we have a free will. And we're going to say no to the noise and yes to Jesus, right? We're cultivating intimacy with him. Man, my wife was encouraging a friend. And I, she, she was, it was kind of late at night. And they were texting back and forth. And she just started prophesying to this friend. And I, I said, I, I want to save that prophet. She just started speaking the word out to this friend of hers about how her home is going to become not only a sanctuary where she's going to, uh, learn to lean on Christ, but it's become a gym where she learns to become strong in Christ. And you need both. You need to know the peace of Christ, but you need to know the strength of Christ. And these things will grow in you as you spend time with Him and cultivate an intimacy with Him. So you'll know His peace and you'll know His strength. Hallelujah. 
Let's keep reading this message translation. I like this. So they'll know, so they can see the difference between Satan and God and choose God. Yeah, once you see the difference, it's not it's an easy choice, right? Oh, wow, I just we're you know, I, I, we're endeavoring to be led by the Holy Spirit every time we gather. And uh, you you could just choose to create a series of sermons and and but I don't choose to do it that way. I I, I don't I, I have chosen just to say, Lord, what do you want to say? And from my perspective, I, I've given that right to him, so I, I want to follow him in the moment as we're ministering, all right? That's how we're endeavoring to flow here. But I'm amazed at the time Satan would speak to me, and the way he'd craft what he said almost fooled me. Almost fooled me. But then the Holy Spirit would bring the word up in my heart. I said, ah, 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 no, 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 no. Uh-uh, that's not my father talking. Hallelujah. I cannot emphasize enough the importance of knowing the Word of God. Remember Jesus when he was being tempted by Satan, right? In, in person, Satan appeared in, in person, right? This wasn't a little whispering in his ear. Satan stood before him and tempted him in Matthew chapter 4, trying to keep him from setting people free. How did Jesus himself fight against Satan? How did he do it? With lightning from his fingertips? Like uh, the Jedi did in Star Wars? No, he didn't. He didn't call down lightning. He said, it is written. Have you read that? Matthew chapter 4 again. It's good to read it to see the difference between Satan and God. Jesus himself went to the written word of God to defeat Satan. Wow. That's how powerful the written word is. So how weak you are if you don't know it. How powerful you are if you do. I don't mean knowing, I don't know everything in the Bible. I'm not talking about knowing everything. But with the, the things we focus on, and we love reading through the whole Bible, but learning what God, who God is what he's done for us and who we are in him. And that's revealed to us in his promises, which are all throughout the Bible. Like Galatians 2.20 I just read, right? When you know that, wait a minute, I'm living by the faith of the Son of God. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but this life I'm living in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Christ lives in me. Woo! You become strong, right? I, I, I wasn't strong before I knew that verse. When I began meditating on that verse, I became strong, and there are many things Satan tried to do in my life, but he couldn't because I knew that verse. Isn't that amazing? No lightning bolts, right? No shots fired. Just it is written. It is written. It is written. Hallelujah. God's word is sure and certain, right? So they can see the difference between Satan and God and choose God. I'm sending you off to present my offer of sins forgiven. I like that. You don't have to buy it, but it's, it's available to you. To present my offer of sins forgiven and a place in the family. So God offers us all sins forgiven and a place in his family. <laughs> Inviting them into the company of those who begin real living by believing in me. <laughs> the Passion Translation says it this way, and you will open their eyes to their true condition so that they may turn from darkness to the light. So our eyes are open to how much we need him when we come to him. And that's not a bad thing, that's a good thing. Right? That's a very good thing to know what you need when you need it. So they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to the power of God. Wow. How? By placing their faith in me. They will receive the total forgiveness of sins. That's past, present, and future. And be made holy. Taking hold of the inheritance that I give to my children. Wow. So this is why Christ came. To re reunite us with our true source. To reunite us with God as our Father. 
so that we could be reborn into the family of God and God could once again become our source for everything. If you haven't put your faith in Christ, if you haven't been reborn, God is not your source. He wants to be. He's done everything he could do so that that's possible. The only thing left is for you to choose him. Okay? Hallelujah. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this. Therefore, if anyone, does that include you? You're in anyone, right? If anyone is in Christ, how do you know if you're in Christ? How do we know? Your heart will tell you. I've put my faith in Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior, and I have confessed him as Lord of my life. Romans 10, 9 and 10, right? With my own, no one's made me do it. Of my own free will, I, I say, Jesus, you are Lord of my life, and I believe that you rose from the dead for me. When you make that heart commitment, you'll know it. You won't have to wonder. If you're wondering, you haven't made the commitment yet. Or Satan's trying to talk you out of the commitment you made, one or the other. Sometimes he'll try and do that. You're not saved. That wasn't real. Don't listen to him. But good news is, if you haven't made it, you can make it right now. It's available to anyone from anywhere, anytime, all the time. Right? You can make it right now to say, Jesus, I'm choosing to receive you. I'm choosing to believe you. I'm choosing to believe that you rose from the dead for me, and I'm declaring you Lord over my life. Jesus, be my Lord. And mean it with your heart, and you're in Christ immediately. There's no waiting period. There's no, uh, um, you know, 30, in 30 days it'll happen. It's when you believe it happens. The moment you put your faith in him, the moment you declare him Lord, you are in him forever. Forever. And no one can take you out of him. So if you're in Christ, if you've put your faith in him and your heart will tell you, he is a new, you are a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. Hallelujah. Now look at 1 Corinthians 8, 6. 1 Corinthians 8, 6. This is written to those who are in Christ, to the believers in Corinth. It's the Apostle Paul again. He says, yet for us, who's us, believers, those who put their faith in Christ, there is only one God, the Father who is the source, God my source. So when we put our faith in Christ, our eyes are open, we can see the difference between Satan and God, and we realize that we've stepped into the family of God, we become new creations in Christ Jesus, and God is our Father, God is our source for everything. Hallelujah. It's a whole different way of living. Now, I want you to do kind of a survey of your life, all right? You can do this privately. No, no, nothing, nothing you have to fill out. But I want you to look at the different areas of your life and ask yourself, am I, am I trusting in God as my source in every area? That's one way we can define source, the one I'm trusting in. Well, how do I know? I'll share with you a couple quotes. I thought these were great. To be discouraged with yourself is to have belief in yourself. <laughs> to be discouraged with yourself is to have belief in yourself. That's pretty good, isn't it? Ouch. That's helping me. Yeah. What does that mean? I really think I'm the one that's going to make this happen. Right? I'm, uh, in that area, if I'm getting discouraged in an area, it's because I'm relying on my own strength and wisdom. That's huge. So it helps me take that survey, right? Is there an area in my life where I'm getting discouraged? Then that would reveal to me who I'm trusting in. Right? I'm not trusting in him in that area of my life. That's why I'm getting discouraged. Right? So we can fix that. We don't get down about it. We just fix it. <laughs> we just tweak it, right? So, okay, God, 
Every time I think about this, every time I approach this area of my life, I'm trusting in you, your strength, your wisdom, your provision. I'm trusting in you now. It's not up to me anymore. My responsibility is to, to put my faith in you, to trust you, and to follow you. Your responsibility is to accomplish the things that concern me. How do I know that? How do I know that's God's responsibility? Give you a hint. Psalm 138, 8, because I've read it in the Word. Psalm 138, 8 tells me that he will accomplish the things that will concern me. See, that helps me see in life. When you learn the Word of God, it helps you see things that you couldn't see before. When you listen to the wisdom of man, you can't see the difference between Satan and God. I'm amazed at, at, at how confusing uh, the enemy makes it. I mean, for the most part, so I, I'm thankful for social media in the sense where it gives us an ability to stay connected with people. But there's such a mess on social media, so much confusion, so many people venting and, and, and spewing forth their ignorance and, of God and their, and their dark ideas. But you don't have to be a part of that. You can be on social media, but you don't have to let it affect you. Hallelujah, because you know the word. And I'm not going to participate in those chats and conversations and vents. If I post anything, I want it to be light. L-I-G-H-T, right? I want it to someone to read it and put a smile on their face or be encouraged or, or maybe help them see the difference between Satan and God instead of confusing him, right? There's a whole lot of confusion in politics, right? A whole lot of confusion in society. And it's amazing the, 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 the things that are said and done, uh, and they, they both claim to be right, right? But Christ is right, right? If I want to know truth, I've got to go to Christ no matter what my culture tells me. No matter what society says, I've got to choose Christ above my culture, even above my own biological family, if I really want to see the difference between Satan and God. I had to make that decision, and it wasn't easy to choose Christ above my own biological family, above all the friends I had at that time. But I realized it, it, that he was the way. That society didn't have answers for me, no matter what they claimed, no matter how uh, popular they were or how much... Uh, you know, momentum they had in their corporation or group, I had to choose Christ above that if I really wanted to see the difference between Satan and God. So if you're discouraged in an area, that's a, a symptom letting you know you're not trusting God as your source in that area. You can't trust God and be discouraged at the same time. <laughs> can't be done. When I'm trusting Him, I have peace and joy. When I'm relying, I'm, I'm just talking to myself so you don't have to listen to this. <laughs> when I'm getting frustrated, it's because I think it's up to me. And, and I, I've been really good at this in my life, <laughs> getting frustrated because I'm putting the pressure on myself to make it happen. And thank God he's brought me a long way, but praise God I'm still practicing looking to him in every area of my life. Hallelujah. Joseph Prince said this. He said, God has already said, in your flesh dwells no good thing. That's from the scriptures. He said, you must find your everything in Christ alone. God, my source. Have you found your everything? And I do mean your everything in Christ alone. Are you looking to him? I mean for the food you eat. For the groceries you get for your daily provision, for the clothes you wear. Hallelujah. In everything, in everything, in everything. Do you know God has chosen to give his everything to you? He's chosen to give all that he is to you, and he did so through his son Jesus Christ. He's made himself fully available to anyone who would believe upon Christ. And he's made himself fully available to be your source in every area of your life. Hallelujah. So we're taking a survey this week. 
And when if discouragement pops up, find out why. It might be that you're not trusting the Lord in that area. Sometimes the enemy's just trying to discourage you. It could be that. You know, he's just trying to tell you things that aren't true, right? And this isn't going to work out. You can't do this. And that's a different kind of discouragement. But I do want to become more aware of what am I trying to do in my own strength. And, and then I want to change that, and I want to do it in his strength, right? Hallelujah. Sometimes we've been fooled into thinking that there's a better option than following God or than trusting in him. Isn't that what Satan would like us to think? And I'm going to say something, and it, it's so simple. If I'm not trusting in God in a certain area of my life, it may be that I don't realize how good he is. And I, and I know it might sound trivial or redundant to say God is good, but the truth is there's nothing trivial about it. There's nothing shallow about that statement that God is good. And it's really growing in the knowledge of his goodness that enables us to trust him in every area of our lives and enables us to Choose him as our source. Sometimes I think I can do a better job than God. I might never say that, but the way I'm living is demonstrating that, right? Because I haven't given this area of my life over to him. I'm trying to fix it myself. So if there's an area of life that I'm living in my own strength without verbalizing, what I'm really saying is I can do a better job at this than God can, right? So if I break that down, I'm really not believing that God is as good as he says he is, right? Or I'm not understanding the goodness of God as it relates to that area of my life. And it's the goodness of God that changes everything. In fact, the scriptures have a lot to say about the goodness of God. They teach us things that we really have to spend time meditating on, that God is 100% good. Wow. There's not a, a .01% of him that's anything other than good. Right? Isn't that amazing? In fact, let's look at Psalm 92. Psalm 92 says this in verse 15. Psalm 92, verse 15, says they will say that the Lord is good. That's exactly what we say. Right? He is my rock and there is no evil in him. How much evil? None. There's no reason to keep your distance from God. There's no reason not to run to him right now. You say, what about my sin? He's covered it. There's no reason not to jump up in his arms right now and let him care for you. No evil dwells with him. 1 John 1, verses 4 and 5 say this. 1 John 1, verses 4 and 5. We are writing these things so that you, you may fully share our joy. This is the message we have heard from Jesus and now declare to you, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. See, the message Jesus brought into the earth is that God is good. How good? 100% good. And that message been covered, been covered up by religious doctrine saying that God, you know, causes tragedies. Or if he doesn't cause them, he allows them. And that's simply not true. That's man trying to explain things with his own wisdom. God doesn't cause tragedies and he doesn't allow them. God didn't take your loved one away, and he didn't allow it to happen. God's not in control of this world. Satan is the God of this world. You might not like to hear that, but Jesus taught us that, and the scriptures teach us that. It's good to know the truth so you can see the difference between Satan and God. Destruction, stealing, death, that's Satan's work. Life, healing, wholeness, prosperity, that's God's work. All right? 
This is the message Jesus brought into the earth. If you'll study the ministry of Jesus in your hard copy Bible, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, you'll see what I'm telling you is true. Right? We know Jesus rebuked sickness. Right? He rebuked devils. He healed lunatics. He didn't cause these things. He didn't allow them. He came against them and set people free of them. He rebuked the storm. He didn't say God was in the storm. Right? He didn't say that. He never said the whole world's in his hands. Right? We don't, we don't agree with such foolishness. We go with Jesus. Even if it means that, that uh, we're, we're cast out of certain circles, it's okay. As long as I'm with him, I'm good. Right? So this was the message that Jesus himself brought into the earth. And this is the message that will set you free and keep you free. God is good. And you've heard me say it before, and I'll say it a lot more times. A simple Bible study question you can ask yourself when you're reading through the Bible. If you see something in the Bible, it's like, wait a minute. It seems to indicate that God did something bad. You need to ask yourself the question, would a good father do that? And the, if the answer is no, then there's something I'm not understanding in the Scriptures. Sometimes I don't, I don't know the context of what was being said. Sometimes it's the way it was translated. Or a combination of both. Sometimes there are figures of speech in the Bible that we try and take literally. Sometimes there are things literal that we turn into figures of speech. Okay, so don't, I just keep, ask yourself the question, would a good father do that? There's something tickling me under my arm. I don't know, it's felt like a string. Oh, there it is. Oh, aha. Uh-huh. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Would a good father do that? If the answer is no, then God didn't do that. It really is that simple. Hallelujah. Glory to God. You can, well, let's, let's go there. Matthew chapter 7. Let's read this. Matthew chapter 7. You see, it's time for the knowledge of the goodness of God to grow in your life so that his goodness can flow into every area of your life. It's, your, it's, it's growing in the knowledge of his goodness that opens the door for his goodness to flow into your life. He's just waiting for you to believe that he's good. He's just waiting for you to believe in his true nature. He's waiting for you to say no to the lies and yes to him. And when you say yes to him, it opens the door for him to come in and show himself to you. God doesn't just, uh, you know, shove himself into your life. He's not like that. He's revealed himself through his son, but he's given us the power to choose him. He's given you power over your own life. It's called free will. Hallelujah. Matthew chapter 7, and this is Jesus talking, and and he's the standard for what we believe, right? In verse 8, it says, for everyone that asks receives. Matthew 7, verse 8. And he that seeks finds. Why is it that simple? Because God's that good. He's that good. He's that good. And to him who knocks, it shall be open. Now look at verse 9 through 11. I don't think Jesus could have made it any more plain than this. But yet, man's wisdom kind of tosses this off to the side when they start saying some of the things they say. But Jesus said in verse 9, What man is there of you whom if his son asks bread will give him a stone? That would be evil, Right? Or if he asked a fish, would give him a serpent. That would be evil. That would be perversion. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? Let that be your guide through your Bible study. Let Christ interpret the Bible to you. Okay? We interpret all of the Old Testament and all of the New Testament through the person of Christ. We need the light of Christ to understand the Bible, right? The message translation says, I like this, verse 8. This isn't a cat and mouse hide-and-seek game we're in. Man, that's what I I grew up kind of being taught that in the church I went to. It's like a cat, you know, you you never know what God's going to do. He's hiding today and he's going to peek out his head tomorrow and... You know, it's, it's a, it was like that. It's a hide-and-seek cat-and-mouse game. If your child asks for bread, do you trick him with, with sawdust? <laughs> if he asks for fish, do you scare him with a live snake on his plate? 
Judah might do that to his sisters, but I don't, but God would never do that to I would never do that to him. <laughs> That's what brothers are for, you know, to play pranks on their sisters. Verse 11, as bad as you are, you wouldn't think of such a thing, right? You're, a, you're at least decent to your own children, so don't you think the God who conceived you in love will be even better? God, my source. Hallelujah. Verse 11 in the Passion Translation said, If you, imperfect as you are, know how to lovingly take care of your children and give them what's best, how much more ready is your heavenly Father to give wonderful gifts to those who ask Him? Wow. Powerful. Powerful. Now, so this is what we're going to do. See, we're actively participating with the Holy Spirit. He's our trainer, right? And uh, you, know, what, what do you, you meet with your trainer, right? Sometimes early in the morning, and they've got a plan for you, right? And they coach you, and they tell you, you know, how to move, where to move, when to move, what to eat, what not to eat, right? We're, we're actively participating with the Holy Spirit. So this week, we're going to... Uh, be aware of any areas in our life where we're getting discouraged. And we're going to stop it by trusting in Him in that area, by giving God the wheel in that area, all right? Giving Him the wheel. And the way that we do that is with our mouth. We begin to speak what God says in that, in that area, right? And I want to show you how powerful the revelation of God's goodness is. Just singing or speaking or declaring the goodness of God over your situation will change it. And we're going to look at one example in the Bible, then we're done for today, okay? One example. We're going to go all the way back to one of my favorite chapters in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles chapter 20 to a very serious situation. A nation was about to be wiped out. That's pretty serious. Okay? Second Chronicles chapter 1, excuse me, Second Chronicles chapter 20, we'll start in verse 1. Second Chronicles chapter 20. Before we do, I want to read to you about Jehoshaphat. Jump in Jehoshaphat. <laughs> um, the, he was the fourth king of Judah. But I want to read to you about this, the choices this man made. He was the fourth king of Judah. He became one of, this is just from commentary, historical commentary. This is not uh, from chapter 20. He became one of the country's most successful rulers for one simple reason. He followed the commands of God. At age 35, Jehoshaphat succeeded his father Asa, who was the first good king over Judah. Wow. See, uh, without getting too much of the history, Israel, the nation of Israel split. You had ten, ten tribes, you had Benjamin and Judah, who, who, who uh, almost became, not really, but like two separate countries. But they weren't. They were all Israel still. But uh, Jehoshaphat was the king over Judah and Benjamin. He also did what was right in God's eyes and led Judah in a series of religious reforms. He called them back to the word of God. When Jehoshaphat took office about 873 B.C., he immediately began to abolish the idol worship that had consumed the land. And that wasn't a pleasant thing. Pe things people worship, they don't want to let go of. So they're going to let you hear it when you try and get rid of it, right? But you've got to be strong. To abolish the idol worship that had consumed the land, he drove out the male cult prostitutes and destroyed the Asherah poles where the people had worshipped false gods. To solidify devotion to God, Jehoshaphat sent prophets, priests, and Levites throughout the country to teach people God's word. God looked with favor on Jehoshaphat, strengthening his kingdom and making him wealthy. That's what God does to those who follow him. Neighboring kings paid tribute to him because they feared his power. So this is the one we're going to read about, okay? 
So here in this point in time, in chapter 20 of 2 Chronicles, in verse 1, uh, it came to pass that the children of Moab, that's another nation, the children of Ammon, the children, uh, excuse me, and with them other besides the Ammonites came together against Jehoshaphat to battle. So, you know, it's, we talk about nations, but really nations started with a, individuals, right, who became very large. So Israel was who? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob was Jacob, right? Was the grandson of Abraham who became a nation. Well, every nation started with a person, right? So we, that's what a nation is. So it's talking about nations here. These nations are coming against Judah. Then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude against you from beyond the sea uh, on this side of Syria. And behold, they be in Hazazon Tamar, which is in Engedi. I think that's outside of Boston. I'm not sure where that is. No. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord. So he knows right away that he can't do this in his own strength. It's good to know that. And he knows who to look to as his source. So he sets himself to seek the Lord instead of allowing fear to take its course. You've got to do the same thing. If you don't set yourself to pursue Christ and to believe God, fear will take its course. And he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah, and Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Right? They're not even taking survey of their resources. They're going right to the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. They came out of all the cities to the kingdom, to the, to the palace, to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And said, O Lord, God of our fathers. So he's talking directly to God. He knows who to talk to. He knows who to look to, right? O Lord, God of our fathers. And this is Old Testament. Remember, Christ hadn't been revealed yet. So we're in a much better place than, than Jehoshaphat was. But we can learn from him. O Lord, God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven? And rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thine hand is there not power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee? Art not thou our God? See, even though Satan's the God of this world, God is greater. So we talk about Satan being the God of this world, but that's not nullifying the power of God. So we look to the power of God to trump anything Satan would try and do, right? To bring to naught the plans of the enemy, right? Art not thou God? Who, uh, let's see, where did I start? Yeah, let's verse 7. Who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people, Israel? And gave it to your to the seed of Abraham, your friend, forever. So we see that Jehoshaphat has an understanding of covenant. He knew that Abraham, the father of our faith, was God's friend, had a covenant with God. It was a righteousness by faith. See, so he's a man who has knowledge of, of this relationship that he had with God. He went all the way back to the father of it, Abraham. And they dwelt therefore and have built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name, saying, If when evil comes upon us as the sword, judgment or pestilence or famine, we stand before this house and in thy presence, for thy name is in this house, and cry unto thee in our affliction, then thou wilt hear and help. So they knew that was a promise of God. So they're doing, they're doing their part. And now behold the children of Ammon, Moab, Mount Seir, whom uh, thou wouldest not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they, uh, but they turned from them and destroyed them not. Behold, I say, how they reward us to come to cast us out of thy possession, which thou hast given us to inherit. O our God, will you not judge them? For we have no might against this great company. They come against us, neither know we what to do. So we don't have the strength, we don't have the resources, we don't have the wisdom. But we're looking at you as our source, right? 
And all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives and their children. Then upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of uh, Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, came the Spirit of the Lord. Remember, they didn't have the Holy Spirit living in them in the Old Testament. He would come upon them for periods of time. And he spoke by the Holy Spirit, and he said, Hearken, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, and, uh, and, and you, King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says. Be not afraid, nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours. You don't have any problems. Did you know that? I'm talking about you here, 2021. You don't have any problems. They're God's to take care of. Hallelujah. Isn't that wonderful? We don't have any problems. We have no problems in life. Why? Because we put them all in God's hands. He's taking responsibility to solve them. We're just trusting in Him. The battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow go out against them. Verse, I'm going to just move along for time's sake. You do not need to fight in this battle, verse 17. Set yourselves, you do. You have to set yourselves on the promises of God. Stand still. Don't try and make this happen on your own. And see the salvation of the Lord with you. Fear not, nor be dismayed, for the Lord will be with you. Go out against them. Now, real quickly, for time's sake, we're going to look at this. So Jehoshaphat, he bows his head after the Lord speaks. God speaks, and he responds to it. He doesn't just ignore it and keep going. He, it says he falls before the Lord in verse 18, and he worships him. Good response. It was real to him what God just said. See, sometimes people have a hard time worshiping God because he's not real enough to him yet. When what he says is real to you, you'll worship him. Worship him. Cultivate, practice worshiping him when you're at home. When you're getting ready for your day. Cultivate it. Practice it. You don't need any microphones, any guitars or drums. Just start, God, I worship you. God, you're so good. You're with me today. You've gone before me. I don't have any problems. You're taking care of me. You're fighting every battle for me. These are not my problems. They're yours. I'm just going to trust in you. Cultivate that. You know, I, I lay on, I don't know how many times, I lay on my my the floor of my house, sometimes downstairs or in my bedroom, or dear, I'll just lay with my nose on the floor and worship him. That's what's good about our nose. It, it'll, it'll give way to the floor. When you get back up, it'll pop back out. So you can do that. You can just, you know, lay down there and let it flatten out and worship him for a while and you get back up and it'll come back. But do that. Worship him. Lay on your face before God. Praise him. Hallelujah. He's that real. And then look what happens. The whole congregation, they stood up in verse 19 to praise the Lord God of Israel with a loud voice on high. Hallelujah! When what he says is real to you, you'll get loud. I'm telling you. That's why people who get upset with loud church services, and they, why are they making so much noise? It's because what God has said isn't as real to them. How do I know that? Because those same people at a football game will be shouting their heads off. They won't, they won't be criticizing anyone for hollering for their favorite team. But when they get in church, oh, you better be quiet. Right? Is God more real to thee than your favorite team? And they rose early in the morning. So God speaks. He falls on his face and worships him. Then they break into this praise session with loud, loud voices. And then they get up early in the morning. And Jehoshaphat speaks to him. He says, believe in the Lord your God, so shall you be established. Believe his prophets, and so shall you prosper. Now here's what's amazing about this. So he, he, in, he, God is giving him wisdom. And in his wisdom, he puts the worship team in front of the, of the army. In front of all the weapons and all the trained soldiers, he wants the praises of God to go first. That's the wisdom of God. That's not the wisdom of man. The wisdom of man would say that's foolishness. There's nothing foolish about praising him. 
There's nothing more powerful than you putting your trust in God the Father and beginning to worship Him. When you begin to worship Him, He goes to battle against your enemies. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So he says, believe in the Lord God. And then he appointed singers unto the Lord that they should praise. This is verse 21. The beauty of his holiness as they went out before the army. And now I would think, you know, if they're going to sing something, they're going. I mean, this is a life and death situation. They'd sing like, God, your, your mighty sword is going to cut down our enemies. And those are the lyrics I would write, you know. But that's not what they sing about. What do they sing about? His goodness. They sing about his goodness. Isn't that amazing? I mean, armies are about to crush them, and instead of singing uh, something else, they begin to sing about the good. Why? Because the goodness of God is your deliverance. The goodness of God is your safety. The goodness of God is your protection. The goodness of God is your victory in every area of life. So sing about it. And let God loose in every area of your life. Open your mouth and say, praise the Lord for His mercy endures forever. That's what they say. That's what they say. That's it. Can you imagine? But I want you to grab a hold of the, the godness of this. That's all you need to know. Praise the Lord for he is good and his mercy, his loving kindness. That's, that's actually a word that speaks of covenant in the Hebrew. It's a covenant word. In other words, I have a covenant with God and he's taking my problems and he's, he's solving them for me. That's what they're singing about. So they're singing because they know that God is going to accomplish what concerns them. That's what His goodness does. It builds in you this confidence that I don't have any problems anymore. Hallelujah! I don't have any problems anymore. I don't have any concerns anymore. He's so good that before I was even aware of what I was supposed to be concerned about, He's working on it and He's accomplishing it. He know, he's so good that he knows what I need before I even know I need it. And he's already provided what I need before I knew I needed it. Yeah. He's so good. He's so good. Praise the Lord for he is good and his mercy endures forever. And a lot of times my worship, it'll just be that hallelujah. That's all I'll say. Which, which is like a Hebrew word for, for praise the Lord. It's just like the highest praise. And I'll just sing hallelujah for, for a while. And then I'll just sing this. Praise the Lord for his mercy endures for Lord, I praise you. Your mercy, your loving kindness, your, your goodness, it endures forever. And I praise you and I worship you. And I magnify your name alone. Just me in my bedroom or, or taking a walk or, or alone just worshiping him. Start doing this, guys. Start cultivating this in your life. Hallelujah. Take a break at work and just, you know, go, go in a cough somewhere you can be by yourself and just take a 10-minute praise break. It'll change everything. And what happens? So actually, they go out and they're singing praise. And when they began, to, it says, when they began to sing praise in verse 22. I love that. They weren't quiet. Don't be quiet. Don't be quiet. Open your mouth and sing his praises. Satan wants you to be quiet. Don't be quiet. Sing the praises of the Lord. When they began to sing praise, the Lord set in. They didn't fire a shot. The Lord set ambushes against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, and they actually began fighting against each other. And, and, and God's people were just singing. I'm <laughs> just trying to imagine what that must have looked like. <laughs> praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. They're having a praise party, and, and their enemies are just being foiled, yeah. right? And that's exactly what happened. The, 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 the ones who tried to destroy God's people turned on each other and destroyed themselves. But God wasn't done yet. You see, God not only wants you to be delivered from your enemies, He wants you to plunder your enemies. Now, you understand, when I'm talking about your enemies, I'm talking about not people. I'm talking about spiritual forces of darkness. You see, the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. 
You're the just. God wants you to take the wealth that Satan was trying to use to, pr to promote his plans, and he wants to transfer it to you so you can be blessed and build his kingdom in the earth. So we're going to jump down to verse 25 when we'll be done. So it says, when Jehoshaphat and his people came uh, to take away the spoil of them so that the enemies are defeated and the spoil is there, they found among them in abundance both riches and precious jewels, and they stripped them for the, off for themselves more than they could carry away. They were there three days gathering the spoil. It was so much. What would have happened if they would listen to the voice of the enemy? They would, have, they would have been broke and defeated, right? But listen, when you choose God as your source and you realize that he is good, so good, that he's got you covered in every area of your life, and you, you don't be silent about it, you open up your mouth. When you sing about it, you're reinforcing it, and you're giving God right away to bring it about in your life. The more I go on with him, I think the most powerful thing we can do is praise him. Yeah. It's just to praise him and to bless his name and to thank him. And I'm telling you, he has got a spoil for you in 2021. Yeah. Hallelujah. And what's going to open the door for that spoil to come to you is that your praise. When you begin to sing unto him and praise him, it, it frees him up to work on your behalf and to, to transfer the wealth of the wicked to you. You're, you're his kid. You're his sons. You're his daughters. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you. You are our source. You are good, and your mercy endures forever. Father, we come before you this morning, and we worship you. We choose you as our source in every single area of our lives. Holy Spirit, help us to recognize when we're trying to do something in our own strength and not by, by letting you be our strength. Help us, Holy Spirit, to let God be our everything. Praise the Lord, for you are good, and your mercy, your loving kindness, your hasid, your covenant love endures forever. And Father, we worship you. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. 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 God is so good. We want to invite you to continue to grow in the knowledge of His goodness, who He is, what He's done for you, and who you are in Him. Check out our websites at josephbosco.us and highwaychurch.us and begin living the abundant life He came to give you.